In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. It is the second Sunday after Epiphany, the Sunday following the baptism of our Lord. And this morning we pick up right where we left off last week, with the help of two witnesses, John the Evangelist, and John the Baptist. With the help of these two witnesses this morning, let us understand what it means to behold and to follow the Lord Jesus. At this point in the Christian year, we are well acquainted with John the Baptist. His birth is miraculous. He was consecrated in the womb of his mother to be the forerunner to our Lord. He is a relative of Jesus. He lives now and preaches in the desert. He preaches of the coming judgment. He prepares the way for the Messiah. He is the one who leads us through the season of Advent. He prepares us for the nativity of our Lord. And he has gathered many disciples. Throngs, thousands, followed him out of the city places into the wilderness where he baptized them for the forgiveness of sins. He is the last of the prophets and the greatest men born of woman, our Lord says. He is a fearsome prophet. But today, John's preaching suddenly shifts. The tone changes. When he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John's message suddenly moves from judgment to salvation. And what precipitated this sudden shift was the experience of our Lord's baptism. The baptism of our Lord was an epiphany for John. And afterwards, he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world, the one who came to die, a sacrifice in a manger, Christ crucified on a tree. In a very real way, John's message is that of the death of God. But before we understand the nature of that epiphany, John says something puzzling. I myself did not know him. It is strange. How did John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Lord, his relative, not know him? The first time they met in their mother's wombs, John leaped for joy. And his entire life up to this point was spent preparing for him to come. And yet now he says, I did not know him. It is strange, but it is also instructive for us because we must understand who this Jesus, who everyone knows something about, really is. John knew that his own sin was such that he could not touch the laces of our Lord's shoes, let alone baptize him. But our Lord insisted, 
And the only way John came to see the Lord Jesus for who he really is, is because he was the one on whom he saw the Spirit descend and remain. Today, for you and me, we know him as the one on whom the Spirit has descended and remains, who baptizes us with the same Spirit, who dwells in us. For we cannot know who Jesus is apart from the Spirit of God, the bond of love between the persons of the Trinity, without God's illumination. It is the Spirit of God that descended upon Jesus that allowed John to see, to behold. For the eyes of flesh cannot see the things of God apart from his grace. The witness of the Baptist starts the narrative of John's gospel. And throughout the Christian year, John's gospel punctuates the church's calendar in order to make certain aspects of our Lord's life and ministry clear. Because the Gospel of John begins where the other Gospels end. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write from a temporal perspective, a human perspective, we could say, John writes from the eternal, divine perspective. From the earliest days of the Church, this Gospel was regarded as the spiritual Gospel, written by the one they called the theologian. John begins with theology and moves to narrative. But the story is not told from a human perspective, from the, from the standpoint of a historian like St. Luke, or someone engaging with the Jewish readers of the day like Matthew. Indeed, John of Patmos, the gospel writer, is sometimes called the disciple the theologian, or because of this perspective he has, St. John the Divine. And in one blues song, which the dean will appreciate not being here, he is called John the Revelator, and described himself as the beloved disciple. And it is the unique concern of John's Gospel to tell us that at the very beginning, in chapter 1, the eternal word of God is also the Lamb of God, who has come to die to take away the sin of the world. The Gospel of John is the Paschal Gospel. In fact, in the Orthodox churches, the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany are called a winter Pascha, a winter Passover, a winter Easter. But how is Jesus Lamb. The ways in which Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God could fill many books. But if you wish to see the mystery of the Lord, who is the Lamb, look at Abel, who is likewise slain. Look at Isaac, who is likewise tied up. At Joseph, who is likewise traded. At Moses, who is exposed at David, who is hunted down. Look at the prophets, who are likewise persecuted and suffer and die for the sake of Christ. The Old Testament prepares us 
for this lamb. Remember that Passover, in which the people of God celebrated how God redeemed Israel from slavery, and how in Egypt he literally passed over those who applied the blood of a lamb to their doorposts. The lamb is killed, but his blood saves those who killed him. This lamb was then eaten by the people of Israel, with their bags packed and their boots on, as we could say, for a journey out of bondage. The lamb was eaten for sustenance on the pilgrim way. Later in John's Gospel, when the feast of Passover approaches again, Jesus says, My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And so after the host, the victim, the lamb is broken at the mass today, the priest will say, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then we proclaim that he is the fulfillment of that feast that we keep. John the Baptist points us to this fulfillment to let us know because it is written for us that the reason the word of God became a man and lived on earth was to die. He is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, as St. John says. During Epiphany Tide, the Sundays after Epiphany, we see the full meaning of Christmas, the Incarnation, and this is it. This is how he saves. The whole story of the Bible leads us to this Lamb who is our Passover, our sacrifice. But unlike the people of God in the Old Testament who brought their own gifts, their own lambs to sacrifice, the great truth of Epiphany, the thing that we wrestle with in these Sundays after our Lord's baptism, is that God decided to identify so completely with us at his baptism, in his life, that when the time for this sacrifice comes, God himself provides the lamb. He provides the sacrifice. God provides himself. Of course, the great difficulty about this lamb that takes away the sin of the world is that you and I are in some way implicated in his death. He dies for you, and he dies for me. And the reason is sin, the sin of the world, your sin and my sin. In this whole world where nothing is quite right, it is bent, as the dean said last week. And it isn't just the problem of sin as we sometimes think of it, but of illness and decay, and disorder, and death, that is the problem. All of this is gathered into this phrase, the sin of the world. So how does this victim, this sacrificial lamb, take it away by dying? This is the epiphany we are concerned with today. For Jesus' baptism by John was not for his sake. He is the sinless Son of God, 
the spotless lamb. It was for our sake. It is part of his complete identification with you and me. And in our baptism, we receive, like the disciples in our gospel today, a new name. And we die his death, so that we may be raised to new life in him. Any lamb that was selected for a sacrifice had to undergo testing. And the rest of our Lord's life and ministry consisted in him being tested and challenged and numbered with us. And so at the final test, a few years later after his baptism, as he stood before a seat of judgment in Jerusalem, before a Roman judge, Pontius Pilate, he proclaims him innocent, spotless, without blemish, and hands him over to die at the very hour the Passover lamb is killed. And in a strange echo of John's, behold the lamb of God, Pilate turns to you and to me and says, Behold the man. This is the spotless Lamb of God. This is the new humanity, Pilate says. For he was born a son and led as a lamb, and slaughtered as a sheep and buried as a man, and rose from dead as God being God by nature and man. He is all things. It is so easy to get things backwards in the Christian life. We often begin with a problem, something that has gone wrong in our lives, or perhaps when we are confronted by our own sin, and we behold only ourselves. The problem with this kind of thinking is that we end up inevitably misdiagnosing our problems. And we create the kind of savior we think we need. This is one of the effects of sin. We curve in on ourselves. We are incurvus in say, as, as St. Augustine said. But then we do not see the savior for who he is. I myself did not know him, John the Baptist. But the gospel in the Christian faith does not begin with sin. Think of how John's message of judgment and condemnation is changed when he beholds this Lamb of God. This fearsome prophet becomes a joyful proclaimer of this Savior. The same is true for us today. For the gospel begins with Christ. It shows us the truth about God first, and then the truth about ourselves. It begins, with a good, it begins with a God who is utterly good, utterly loving, and ends in the goodness and love of God, who will see that nothing that he has made passes away. And we are, we are allowed to make much of sin, to talk about sin, to repent of our sins, because in doing so, we 
make the Savior greater. We know he is greater. And one of the keys to understanding all of this is sacrifice. For the sacrifices that God has always desired from us are ones made out of love for him and our desire to be united to him. He does not need them. He is not like some mythical God feeding on the, on the sacrifice that we offer. He is not appeased or made less angry because we give something of ours to him. Every Old Testament sacrifice points to the ultimate fulfillment of sacrifice. When God mysteriously but truly offered himself up as a sacrifice in his Son for the Father, for our salvation. Every sacrifice that God honors is an act of love. Any other sacrifice that is not from love is abhorrent to God. The Gospel of John begins where the others end because we need to get it right. We first need to see Christ and then our sin. We behold the Lamb and turn from our sin. We behold the man and see what we were created to be. And we are to live in this world by pointing to him. And that at our death, the sun shall shine as he shines now, the spotless Lamb of God. As Christians, we have not stopped offering sacrifices. This is one reason we still call the Sunday service of word and sacrament a mass. And why the service of Holy Communion is replete with the language of Passover and sacrifice. As we say three times, O Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. And every Sunday in the Eucharistic prayer, when we offer our souls, our bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. And in the Mass, when we offer bread made by human hands, he takes it and breaks it and gives himself to us. He puts himself in our hands to be our life. John the Revelator, as we could call him, his witness to this lamb does not end in his gospel. It continues in the book of Revelation, that beautiful and strange book, where Jesus is called the lamb some 30 times. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb John sees at the end of time. Someone approaches John and asks him, who are these in white robes, and where did they come from? These are they that who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John sees the church. He sees you and me, the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. All whose names have been written in the book of life. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be honor, praise, glory, and power forever and ever.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. 